I presume all of us know that there is not even a close runner-up to the best-selling book of all time, and that book is? Yes, you know that. With over 5 billion copies sold, according to what I've seen, there's not even a book that's a close second. But if I were to ask you what's the, um, the best-selling, all-time best-selling Christian book other than the Bible, uh, there are two of them that emerge at the top of the list, and they've ranked high for a long, long time. One of them is a book called In His Steps by Charles Monroe Sheldon. It was first published in 1896. The other book that is a very high-ranking, best-selling Christian book uh, that has sold in the multiple millions long before there was Amazon or eBooks or any of the things that we have today that, uh, that we choose to read on, the author's name of the second book is John Bunyan. And the name of that book would be The Pilgrim's Progress, which was first published in 1678. Well, I want to just springboard my message this morning by telling you something about the author of that book, John Bunyan. Let me just give you a quick story about what he went through, because it sets the stage for the scripture that I want to bring you today. When he was 17, 17 years old, someone witnessed to him and told him about Jesus. And he started reading the Bible at a very early age. Now, while his head became full of Bible knowledge, his heart remained miserable. It was full of misery. And then something really horrific happened to him. He was, he was plagued with an obsession of something that none of us would want to ever think was true of us, but he was plagued with the, the obsession that he had committed the unpardonable sin. Day and night, whether he was at work or meals or in bed, whatever. He, he, he sensed strange demonic forms driving him to say the dreaded words which would cause him to renounce his faith and commit the unpardonable sin. John Bunyan, so the story goes, grew more and more miserable than he had ever been, and he came to believe that he had done, he truly had done that for which he could never be forgiven, the unpardonable sin which we know to be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He was so emotionally distraught that he was unable to even eat or, or even to digest food for many, many long days. He thought he would burst asunder like Judas because of this sin that he thought he had committed. And then his own words describing his feelings and how he was, what he was experiencing, experiencing went like this. He said, I felt like a blot on the face of the universe. And then he said this, which sounds very strange to me. He said, I started to envy frogs and blades of grass and crows. And I thought, the reason he envied them, he said, I thought, they don't know misery like I do. Now, as crazy as that sounds, and it does sound crazy, you may have done something like that uh, before. I certainly have. Uh, here's what I thought of. Many times I've looked at our spoiled dog and said, you don't know how easy you've got it. You don't pay taxes, you don't go to work, you don't have a house payment, you don't have to pay for insurance or utilities, and you don't make a car payment or, or, or know anything about health insurance. You've got it so easy. We just feed you and take you out, and you don't do nothing. I don't even know why we have you here. So I know that feeling. But now John Bunyan is talking to frogs and blades of grass and crows, so says his autobiography. And then he got so desperate that he decided to call the preacher. He got um, in touch with an older Puritan preacher. He figured, I guess I better go talk to the pastor. And he said to him, he said, Pastor, I I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin, the sin against the Holy Ghost. 
And the Puritan pastor replied, I'm afraid that you have. Let me tell you, that's a bad day when even the preacher says you're in bad shape when you're in trouble, right? But while he was lamenting his hopelessness, something happened that was life-changing and transforming for him, as it says again in his autobiography. He says, the light broke through, and John Bunyan got his text. He received his word, we would say. It's just one verse of Scripture from the Word of God, but that one verse of Scripture literally exploded within him. When you read John Bunyan's books, you'll find that this one verse is inscribed everywhere because it it transformed his life. He writes it in Pilgrim's Progress. It's all over his uh, autobiography. It's everywhere, chanting like a chorus and, and, and like an echoing refrain. And this is the verse that literally liberated him from those thoughts that were plaguing his mind and his heart. As I give it to you from John chapter 6, verse, the latter part of verse 37, I, I'm choosing to use the old King James Version. And here's what John 6, 37 says. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Say that with me. He that cometh I love that New Living also says, and I will never reject them. How many are glad you serve a God who will never reject you? And when John Bunyan read those words, he will in no wise cast him out. He said, oh, the comfort, oh, the comfort that I found in that word. And I love the way he said it. He said, this scripture so sweetly visited my soul. And he wrote down these three thoughts about the verse. The verse again, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And here's what John Bunyan wrote. He said, it's the approachability of Christ. It's the universalness of Christ. And it's the reliability of Christ. I can come to him. Anyone can come to him. Whosoever will may come, Scripture says, and you can rely upon Him that when you come to Him, He will never, ever turn you away. Can someone say hallelujah for that today? And it was that verse which broke him free of the thoughts that came upon him, telling him that he's not even a Christian, that he's, he's not even saved, and that he had committed a sin for which he could never be forgiven. But this Scripture set him free. Well, not only can this happen to John Bunyan, being plagued with these annoying and, and uh, uh, terrorizing thoughts? Not only could it happen to John Bunyan, not only can it happen to us, but it also happened to the writer of the psalm that I want to show you. I'm giving you just one verse from a psalm this morning, and obviously the writer of this psalm was dealing with the same thing, but I think there's something in that verse that I would like to spend just a few minutes unpacking this morning for us today. I'm going to give you this verse that not only has, was, has been effective to others, but it's spoken to my own life. And I have to tell you, it's had great impact on me in my own moments of despair and discouragement and even doubts. It's Psalm 94, 19. Psalm 94, 19. And these are the words of the psalmist. He said, when my anxious thoughts multiply, say that word multiply, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me your consolations, say consolations, your consolations delight my soul. When my 
anxious thoughts multiply within me. Your consolations delight my soul. You know, folks, I think it's true of all of us. Sometimes all we have to hear is one simple, crazy statement, one thing, and it can lead us to 10,000 crazy thoughts. Has that ever happened to anybody else besides me in the house today? One thing, an anxious thought, one, and it can lead to 10,000 crazy thoughts. Or, or something happens uh, that just you get a glimpse of, or you get an idea, you, you think you saw this or saw that, or someone says something, and all of a sudden what's happening in your head is you are writing a novel in your head with crazy thoughts, one after another. The psalmist called it multiplication of anxious thoughts. Now, we're not talking addition here. We're talking about multiplication. And we know that that's, if you, I, we learned, I learned my tables, multiplication tables in the third grade. I think now they teach it uh, on your way home from the hospital when you're born. <clears throat> it always gets younger and younger. Multiplication is so much harder than addition. And, and why is it so much more difficult in addition? It's because the numbers get larger faster. The product or the answer of, a, of, a, uh, uh, of multiplying two numbers together, the product can jump to two and three and four and even more digits before you even get very far at all. And the, the, the psalmist was basically saying that to us, us and specifically using that word to say how, how, much, how exponentially they can grow within us. One anxious thought can start multiplying in my head. And I am so good at this. Is anybody else good at it with me? If you're like me, you've had anxious thoughts about your health, about your job, about the spiritual lives of your kids, about your finances, about, about your future, anxious thoughts about tomorrow. And when anxious thoughts begin to multiply within us, then they just start jumping at an astronomical rate. It just takes one sentence, one statement from someone, and we can turn it into an entire novel or a, a whole production in a matter of minutes. It can be as simple as um, your annual physical with your doctor. You go to the doctor's office, they take your blood, you do the blood work, and the doc comes in to read the results. And he might say, it might go something like this. He might say, everything looks really great. Mr. Smith, these are, man, these are terrific numbers. Really, really looks great. You know, he's, he's going to throw in there that phrase we all love to hear, you need to lose some weight, but your numbers look good. You know, it's always the way it goes, at least to some of us. And then he continues to look over your blood results. Yes, mm-hmm, yes, oh, this looks, this looks really, yeah, this looks really good. There's this one thing on here. Um, it's probably nothing, Mr. Smith, probably nothing. But I, I see a number here that just, it seems to be just jumping a little bit. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything to it, but I, I don't really like it. And I, I think I'm going to order up a CT scan for you. And the doc says, I, I, I really don't think it's anything. But, you know, we just want to be on the safe side, don't we, Mr. Smith? And that's all he has to say to me, probably to you. And by the time you get to your car, multiplication has taken over. And before you know it, here's the novel that you've written. Before you get to your car, you have now concluded that you have cancer, you don't have long to live, and you start thinking, okay, 
who's Becky going to marry? Is my life insurance policy up to date? I wonder if she'll stay in Texas. I wonder if anybody's going to show up at my funeral. I keep going. What music should I have at my funeral? Should I pick it out or tell Brent just he could pick it out? I wonder if I'll lose my hair. I'm so glad that bald is in. It looks so good on Josh. Yeah, that works. How many know what I'm talking about? You can go from zero to 100 in seconds. It's the way it works. Well, you laugh at me, but you know what? I bet you can write a pretty good novel yourself. And it's because of the power of multiplication of anxious thoughts, and it takes over. And that's what the psalmist was saying. Well, here's, here's another possibility. Maybe your supervisor says to you as you're, as, um, as you're leaving work one day, the supervisor says, hey, um, John, I need to meet with you in the morning for just a few minutes. Okay. And guess what? The multiplication starts spinning, doesn't it? They're going to downsize. What did I do wrong? You start replaying the last 18 months of what's happened at work. You try to go talk to other coworkers or call them and say, hey, buddy, um, anything going on that I should know about? You, check, you can't sleep that night. You've already put your resume on monster.com. It's because anxious thoughts, according to the psalmist, will multiply. One thing is said to you. You see one little thing on Facebook. Hello. One situation happens and a novel is written in your head. How do you win against this? How do you win against this um, devilish multiplication that takes place? How do you keep from planning your own demise, your own funeral, your own unemployment when it's not even being called for? Well, let me go back to that verse in Psalm 94. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, he's saying to the Lord, the psalmist is, your consolations delight my soul. Your consolations delight my soul. Now, give me just a minute to talk about this word consolation. Uh, the way we use it, uh, it, it, it's not like, well, you get a consolation prize because you didn't win the big trophy, you didn't come in first place, so we're going to, you, know, you get the consolation prize. We tend to think of it that way, but that's not it. That's not what this is saying. Consolation means to console. It means comfort. But not only comfort, the theological word book of the Old Testament will tell you this. One of the definitions of the word consolation is this, to breathe deeply again. To breathe deeply again. It's as if what we're seeing here, God can give you a second wind. As if somehow in the midst of the, uh, the, the anxious thoughts within you multiplying, you go... God's in charge. God's got it all together. He's got this. Because the power of multiplication can bring you to the place where you feel like you can't even breathe. But how many with me this morning are thankful that God can give you a second wind? In our scripture verse, the psalmist is saying to us, that when the multiplication begins to happen, God gives you he gives you his consolation. He gives you a way to breathe again. So how does he do that? I'm going to just propose some possibilities to you. How does God bring his consolation or 
his comfort to you? How does God allow you to breathe again? Have you ever had a brother or sister in Christ who was particularly discerning just walk up to you and give you an uplifting word? And when you walked away, it was as if somehow you realized they had put an oxygen mask on your face. (sighs) I could breathe again. Maybe they didn't even know what was going on within you. They had no idea what you were facing. They had no idea the novel that you were writing in your mind and how you were playing this whole thing out ahead of time. Maybe they didn't even know, but they came and they gave you an uplifting and encouraging word. And it's like they, they, they put an oxygen mask on you. Can I just take this moment to say, this is why being part of the church is so important. It's why it's important to have godly friends and godly relationships. You need people in your life who can take one look at you and see that you're writing a novel in your head, whether or not they know what it is. I have been blessed to have friends who can take one look at me and say, something going on. Yes, something is. I've also had people walk up and say, Dan, I can read you like a book. And I say, so can everybody else. (laughs) But having that friend who has that special place who can take a look at you and go, something's going on. They see that your heart is disquieted within you. We all need people in our life with the spiritual maturity and the wisdom and the discernment that when they encounter you, and maybe you're in that place where you're writing a novel, and you may be giving off weird vibes due to the novel writing that's taking place in your head, but that person who's a friend of yours who has the discernment and the spiritual maturity, they realize whatever those vibes coming, it's not about me. I can just kind of deflect that and throw that off. Something's going on in my friend, and I need to pray for them or give them an encouraging word. We need a person like that who's not even always put off when we're, when we're putting out the weird vibes. And whoever this is in your life, They've got enough sense and confidence to know that when they're reading you, they're not offending you because it's not about them. They are smart enough, mature enough to be able to set that aside. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, then you need to be doing something about it. And let me just say this. Um, Let me find a filter here somewhere. Hang on just a second. I've got to find a filter for this. Coming to church once a month, walking in late, leaving early does not get you in that kind of relationship with the church. Okay, And also, if you're not participating in one of the hundreds of opportunities that we present you for connecting and serving and living as a New Testament believer, you won't develop those kinds of relationships in the church. That's just the way it works. They will not yield that kind of true godly relationship that you so desperately and I so desperately need in my life. At least it won't happen in the church. You need someone in your life who knows when and how to hand you the oxygen mask so that you can breathe again. Consolation. God, your consolations delight my soul. And I'm so thankful God can send godly people in our life who can make that happen for us. Let me show you how Paul mentions it in in 2 Corinthians 7 because it's, it's an important principle that he's emphasizing. In 2 Corinthians he says, but God who encourages us, who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by what? The arrival of Titus. He sent someone. His presence, talk about Titus, his presence was a joy. But so was the news he brought of the encouragement that he had received from you. When he told us 
how much you long to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me. Oh, you know what? That It comforted my soul. I was filled with joy because God sent Titus. How did God comfort Paul? He sent him a brother. What was the consolation that Paul received from the Lord? He didn't tell him to go to counseling, and counseling's fine, I'm all for that. God brought his consolation to Paul by sending a brother who had an encouraging word to bring, who put breath back inside of him and handed him an oxygen mask so he could breathe again. And Paul gives us another one at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. We know that chapter to be the spiritual warfare chapter. And here's what he says. Paul says, but but that you also may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you because I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. God can send people to you, godly people to you, to bring his consolation, to bring the oxygen mask, so that you can breathe again. When anxious thoughts are multiplying in your mind and you're writing that novel in your head. And let me just say this to those of you who have the gift of discernment and you know how to bring consolation and comfort. I want to encourage you this morning to keep it up. Don't get discouraged if someone looks like they're rejecting you. If God's given you that gift of discernment, that ability to know how to step in and give an encouraging word to a brother or a sister, you need to keep it up. And here's what I say, bring that oxygen max with you to church and use it on somebody, somebody whose anxious thoughts are multiplying in their head. God not only sends godly people to you, but there's something else that he's given us, and he's given us the precious Holy Spirit. Who's thankful this morning? Who's thankful this morning? What's the, what's the, the number one name? that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. Anybody remember? The Comforter. You may have heard the statement that says this. Sometimes God calms the storm, and then sometimes God lets the storm, storm rage and calms the child. Just because you have the Holy Spirit, does that mean that your circumstances are going to change? Maybe yes, maybe no. But even if they don't, God is able to do something within you. Would you just listen so closely for just a minute? God is able to do something within you that can completely change your perspective if you're being plagued by anxious thoughts. Earlier this year, I had an idea hit me. Um, it's just the way I, I began to see it. And I'm going to try to explain the concept to you. Not that it's all that difficult. I just don't know how easily I can, I can do it. I call it the theory of two eyes. We know that God's given us two eyes and that they work in tandem. And that's the way it's, it's supposed to be. I've always marveled at the fact that I've, I've never worn contacts. Becky has most of our married life. And I hear about people who they, they wear one contact because somehow you use one eye to see distance. and the, I, That just messes with my head completely. But... I know that that happens. Here's what I began to notice, and it came out of the experience of my own life, that I'm very capable of getting so entrenched in the minutiae and the details of a circumstance. Let, let's say something within the church is taking place, and I can get so deeply into it, and I, and I 
all, every little tiny fine point. I'm examining and looking to see what needs to happen and if I need to be taking action on, on this and even become overwhelmed by, by, by the minutia and the, the, the small details until all of a sudden God gives me an indication or I get grace one day to lift my head and step back and I see it, the whole thing from a distance. It's almost as if I detach myself somewhat from it. Well, this was so profound to me one day. I was literally driving in my, area, my part of town, and I began to realize, Dan, it was that day that God gave me grace to see from a different perspective. That I had been so immersed in the details that suddenly when I, I, I stepped back, because God allowed that to happen. God, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside, hallelujah, God gave that ability. And I stepped back and I saw it and I thought, you know what? Any good leader or anyone needs to have the ability to see with two eyes. There are times when you have to give attention to the details and the small things. But you know what? You can get so lost in the small things and the, and the little tiny things. You can get so absorbed with that. That you, you, you miss the big point. You, you miss the grander scheme of what's taking place. And some of the effort we're putting into the, the small things is keeping us from having the proper perspective from here. When God's saying, in the grand scheme, this is what I'm doing. I call it my theory of, of two eyes. Being able to see. And here's what I want to convey to you this morning. I think it's one of the ways that God comforts us because He has the ability our God who is so great, so powerful, He can change our perspective. <clears throat> he can change our perspective. That's worse than this side. He can change our perspective, Balcony. Thank you. No, I'm not being facetious about it, but I just want you to know something. My heart reaches out to those of you who are plagued with, with anxious thoughts. The enemy would come in and try everything he could to destroy you. If he can get you to get derailed and off the path that God has for you with those anxious thoughts and they can take over. I want to give you a word today that God the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you, who lives gloriously within you, can change your perspective and give you grace for a new day going forward. And when he does, you need to see that as God's consolation. And with it comes his delight, so says the psalmist, and he brings new perspective. Can I, uh, I want to vulnerably admit something to you that I, I've discovered is true of me. I'm not happy about it, but it's true. I don't think I ask enough for the Holy Spirit to help me. I'm not going to ask you if that's true of you or not. I don't think I ask enough because I find myself sometimes asking people, conferring with others, looking to other things. But church, we need to always be aware that the Holy Spirit resides within us. He dwells, it is He who dwells within. And there ought to be several times each day where we simply lift our voice or say it quietly under our breath and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Oh, I need you. Church, far too often, we are looking to other places when the help is right inside of us. God's Holy Spirit resides in, inside, the comforter. I heard of a 24-year-old kid who needed money. 
So for the very first time in his life, he robbed a gas station. It was in Ottawa, Canada. He took a gun that his grandfather had given to him. He walked into a big gas station, and he walked out with some $6,000. But he got caught, and he was jailed for six years. However, when it came time for his trial in the, in the courtroom, to stand before the judge in the courtroom, everyone in the courtroom was laughing at him. Laughing because the gun that he had been given by his grandfather that he used for this robbery was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic, which was made in 1916. And the court started laughing out loud when the judge said to the lad, he said, young man, do you know that that gun that you use is worth $100,000. So while you're stealing $6,000, you had a $100,000 gun in your hand. You're going to jail, bro, but the gun stays with Grandpa. So what we see here is that this kid was trying to get from people what he already had plus lots more. Are you getting the parallel today? Do you know how many times we try to get from others when all the while God's saying, I've already given it to you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that's why he is called the comforter. How does God bring this consolation? How does he bring this comfort? Well, he sends people. He sends the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within and there's one more that struck me and hit me like a Mack truck. We sing that song, Alleluia, Alleluia, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. We sing that line again and then we sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. We sang many of those lyrics this morning. Let me just ask you something. Now, you don't have to answer. Does anybody here ever have anxious thoughts while you're worshiping in church? Nervous laughter, nervous laughter, nervous laughter. Anybody ever do any novel writing in your head right while you are in a service of worship? Anybody ever had um, anxious thoughts start multiplying while you were in a worship service? Well, when we sing that song or sing those lyrics to whatever song like that, we're singing the very words the very phrases from the book of Revelation. I know you understand that. For in heaven, right now, as you sit in this sanctuary and in this room, they are singing the universal word, Alleluia. It's happening right now. Right now in heaven, they are crying out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Right now, they are declaring at this very hour that God is holy. Let me give you this one final word about something that we're given that brings comfort to our soul. And the impact of this hit me recently. We could go yesterday, Saturday, as we were burying Tonja Hervey. Sweet Tonja, my goodness. There's a particular scripture that I quote at every graveside service that I, I conduct, and I've done many in the last few years. It's not only me. But pastors everywhere engage this scripture at, at funeral services. And, and you know it. It's what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where he says this. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can I get a hallelujah today? And then he finishes it by saying this. As I stood at Tonja's graveside last Saturday, and I quoted this, it's what hit me so hard after I quoted that scripture because the last verse, verse 18 says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying this. Sometimes, sometimes, good old-fashioned second coming talk can comfort your anxious soul. Now, you people who are my age and you're raised in church like me, I know that back in the day, we talked about the second coming of Christ to the point where we created a, an escapist mentality that wasn't always the healthiest thing for us. But I'm here to say this morning that it seems to me that we might have swung to the other extreme because you rarely hear about it anymore. I'm just saying to you today, Bethesda, I'm just saying today that every once in a while, every once in a while, you need to look at somebody and say, you know what? Jesus is coming back again. Every once in a while, just once in a while, you need to say to yourself or say to a brother or sister, guess what? This world is not my home, for I am a citizen of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives, and I am eagerly waiting for him to return as my Savior. And we are instructed by the Apostle Paul. When you think of that, when you understand that, when you grasp that fully, then use that to comfort one another with these words. Why does that bring us comfort? Well, it's because it reminds us that the stuff of this world and the stuff of this life is nothing to compare with what it will be like when we see Jesus face to face. I've recently heard of a pastor who allowed his anxious thoughts to multiply. And so this pastor had a buddy, a friend, who encouraged him to do something that's maybe a little strange. I don't think it's all that bad of an idea. The friend told him, because what he was doing is this very thing that Paul said. He's, he's comforting this pastor with these words. The friend said, here's what you need to do, pastor. You go get you a bunch of sticky notes. And here's what I want you to do. When you need to remember that all this stuff that we have will one day pass away. I want you to get a bunch of sticky notes, and here's what you write on every one of them. You're going to write these words, soon to be burned. And take one of those and stick it on your car. Stick one on your house. Stick one on your furniture. Stick it on your stuff. For soon it's all going to be gone because we will forever be with Jesus singing around the throne. Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. God is holy. Because church of the living God, every once in a while, you need some second coming talk. I said you need some second coming talk. When you begin to set your mind and your heart 
on things above and your perspective begins to change and you start to turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, guess what? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And in the light of eternity, in the reality of worshiping around the throne of God forever, what are our anxious thoughts in light of that? I love the verse that says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Comfort one another with these words. And when we get our eyes upon Jesus and when we remember that He is holy, that He will reign forever and ever, that He has overcome death, hell, and the grave, then you also remember this, a most glorious thought. You belong to Jesus. You are His, and you are safely in His hand, and no one or no thing can pluck you out of His hand. Somebody ought to shout for joy today. And so then, when you're thinking about comforting yourself with these words, you have to, have to say this, so what can separate me from the love of God? When you put things into proper perspective, that you are hidden with Christ and God, and that's where your life is, what can separate? No, death, life, angels, principalities, or powers, nothing in your present day, nothing in your future, no height, nor depth, or any created thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So comfort one another with these words. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet, church, right now. Oh, somebody say, thank God. Let's lift our hands and just come and just begin to worship Him. Lord, You are holy. We exalt You today. We join our voices with those who are singing around the throne, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Come on, church, lift your voice. Bless Him today. Bless Him, bless Him, bless Him. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name forever, Jesus. You are the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. We bless you today. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you. So when those thoughts start coming, those anxious thoughts start multiplying, why don't you ask God to send someone your way? He'll send a godly brother, a godly sister. When those anxious thoughts start mounting high, just remember, church, that you have something within you. You have a wealth and a resource within you that you haven't even begun to tap. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He is your helper. In the middle of a sleepless night, He's your helper. When those thoughts are running wild, He'll be your comforter. He is the comforter. He's living within. Before you pick up a phone, before you make an appointment, why don't you welcome the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Why don't we make it our, our practice this week to call upon Him more than we ever have before? Why don't we say this afternoon, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I need you this hour. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And those anxious thoughts are going crazy. And you're writing a novel in your head. And you've planned your, you've written your own eulogy and you've planned your own funeral. 
I just want to encourage you today, when you get to that point, why don't you lift up your voice and put it all into perspective. Why don't you say this, you know what? Jesus is coming back. And I'm part of the glorious church. I'm part of the bride of Christ that he's coming for. And this world and all of its stuff, this world and all that it would try to impose upon me, this world is not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. And every once in a while, every once in a while, Earlene, we need to look to a brother or sister and say, you know what, Jesus is coming. Every once in a while, Larry Adley, we need to say, Jesus is coming. Every once in a while, Tina Cooper, wherever you are, we need to say, Jesus is coming. Aaron Reeves, every once in a while, we ought to say, you know what, no matter what's on me today, Jesus is coming. And my life is in him today. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, Jesus is coming. Because soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Now, I don't have any, I don't have any uh, sticky notes with me. And this might offend somebody. But we can take a sticky note and we can put it on the drum set and we're going to say, soon to be burned. We can put, take a sticky note and put on it, soon to be burned, and stick it on this pulpit. On the pew that you're, it's soon to be, it's all going to be gone and it will not matter in light of eternity, the eternity that God has placed within us. It's because he's coming back again. Let me just ask quickly, who in this house, just by showing, just raising your hand, who in this house has been dealing with those anxious thoughts? Come on, I want to pray for whoever it is. Who's been writing a novel in your head? Come on, raise your hand. All right. I could raise two hands and two feet. Father, you've heard us today. How can we say thanks for the fact that you have given us the comforting Holy Spirit, the comforter? You have provided everything that we have need of, even in our moments of turmoil. Our moments of anguish, you have provided. Blessed be your name. Lord, let us learn to encourage one another. Give us eyes to see. Give us the spirit of discernment to know what's happening in a brother or sister and give them an uplifting, encouraging word. Thank you, Lord, that you can, that you can do that. Lord, I just ask today that you'll make us mindful that any hour, any moment, you can split the eastern sky and take us to be with you forever. And so we thank you that in light of that, ah, things of this world are growing strangely dim. Lift us to high, a higher place today to see the perspective from your vantage point, oh God. And let us, give us the grace to let go of those agonizing, tormenting thoughts that would try to destroy us. Let us be reminded again today that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And because of that, we are blessed, we are blessed, we are blessed. So for those who've lifted their hand today and those who are struggling, Lord, speak peace to their heart. I, I would say this, let not their heart be troubled because they believe in God. And so thank you for what you're able to do within us. 
And we say it in the mighty name of Jesus, and the church will respond by giving the Lord a clap of praise today. Come on, bless his name. <laughs>